0: Today is September 9th, 2020, and this is episode number 24 of Blurred Laws and Life with me, your host, Richard Bush. On today's episode of Blurred Laws and Life, I will be discussing a very interesting lawsuit for copyright infringement involving Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift has been sued for copyright infringement and the case was initially dismissed by the district court. It then went to the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals and that dismissal was reversed. And now it has returned to the district court where the parties filed letter briefs with the defendants again seeking to dismiss the case, and the court issued a decision this week denying that motion. The issue involves whether the part that is alleged to be infringed in the original work was original, as that term is meant in copyright law. That is an issue that we have not yet discussed, unblurred laws in life and that is a required element in a copyright infringement case that the material that is infringed be quote unquote original and this case presents a nice way for us to discuss that issue in the context of a very interesting copyright infringement case. But before we get to the Taylor Swift copyright infringement case, there are a few other matters that I would like to discuss on this week's episode of Blurred Laws in Life. If you all remember, on episode, I believe, number 22 of Blurred Laws in Life, I spoke about the executive order that... President Trump enacted that would require ByteDance, the parent company of TikTok, to sell TikTok's assets in the United States to a U.S. company and the other part of that order that required the revenue from part of that sale to be deposited with The U.S. Treasury. And I mentioned the fact that TikTok and ByteDance filed a federal court lawsuit challenging the constitutionality of that order, and also mentioned that it appeared that that lawsuit may become moot, unfortunately, because a combination of Microsoft and Walmart had reached an agreement with TikTok to purchase those assets, which would have made the lawsuit moot, as I said. And I mentioned that was unfortunate because it would have been interesting not only to see how the court dealt with the constitutional issue that was raised, but also how the Court of Appeals in California dealt with it and then how the United States Supreme Court dealt with it well not so fast the chinese government in a game of chess with president trump enacted a law that requires the chinese government's approval before certain technology assets of a chinese company are sold in other words the chinese government in response to President Trump's executive order issued their own order that required their approval for the sale of those assets. That has slowed, if not killed, the TikTok sale to Microsoft and Walmart. What I have read is that the secret sauce, so to speak, in TikTok is the algorithm that provides the suggested music and other aspects of TikTok to the users, and that it is that algorithm that apparently cannot be sold by TikTok. And the analogy that I have heard is that without that algorithm, purchasing TikTok would be like purchasing a car without an engine. So if the Chinese government does not give their approval and in this current environment, the trade war between the United States and China, the back and forth between President Trump and the Chinese government, I doubt they will, which means that constitutional challenge to President Trump's executive order may not be so moot, and we may ultimately get a decision by the district court, by the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals, and ultimately the United States Supreme Court, and as I mentioned, I am betting that at least some of the judges and ultimately the justices in the Supreme Court will have very different views of the constitutionality of President Trump's executive order. So stay tuned because this is not over and I believe this will be very interesting and political and therefore perfect for blurred laws and life. Speaking of blurred laws, and President Trump, another unprecedented development occurred in the courts in the United States of America this past week. The United States Department of Justice on Tuesday took the unprecedented move of taking over the president's defense, President Trump's defense, in a defamation lawsuit brought by E. Jean Carroll, a columnist who last year accused Mr. Trump of sexually assaulting her over two decades ago. Uh, Carol is suing President Trump in his personal capacity, and in that lawsuit, he was previously represented by private attorneys. It is unheard of for the Department of Defense to represent. A president who is being sued individually for actions that were taken well before his presidency and in his private capacity. The case was filed originally in New York State Court but it's now been removed to federal court for the court to decide whether the Department of Justice can step in on President Trump's behalf. As you might Imagine the attorney for Ms. Carroll was apoplectic, to say the least, about the Department of Justice taking over the defense. In a statement, uh, he said, President Trump's effort to wield the power of the U.S. government to evade responsibility for his private misconduct is without precedent and shows even more starkly how far he was willing to go to prevent the truth from coming out the government is justifying its decision to involve the Department of Justice by claiming that the president is protected by a law known as the Federal Tort Claims Act, which essentially shields federal employees from civil litigation when that federal employee is, quote, acting within the scope of his office or employment at the time of the incident out of which the claim arose, end quote. The claim... In this case, a search defamation based on a written statement issued to the press and two statements the president made in interviews in June of 2019 in which the president denied the accusation made in the plaintiff's upcoming book. The Department of Justice said in the court filing, the president explained that these accusations were false and that the incident she alleged never happened. Now to put that into perspective for a second, Ms. Carroll is not claiming in the lawsuit or bringing the lawsuit for the alleged sexual assault because it happened allegedly 20 years ago and therefore the statute of limitations would most certainly bar that lawsuit. So in a rather creative move, they are claiming defamation instead and claiming that the president's statement denying the accusation is false so the argument goes that the federal tort claims act applies because at the time president trump made his denial he was acting within allegedly the scope of his office or employment and president trump's office has justified the decision by saying accordingly that the president was a federal employee at the time of his comments denying Carroll's accusations. So it'll be very interesting to see how this also develops because this again is without precedent with the President of the United States using the Justice Department to defend him in what amounts to a private matter in which he made a statement denying an issue that occurred well before his presidency. The area of copyright law is always developing. There are competing tensions on each side between those who want broad protection for copyrighted works and those who on the defense side want to limit the protection of copyright so that others are free to take the artistic work of another without being accused of copyright infringement. As I mentioned in prior episodes of Blurred Laws in Life, the Blurred Lines case, which we won, and its progeny, which means in the law, cases that followed, involve the collateral issue of what elements in a composition are protectable, And under the predecessor to the Copyright Act that is now in effect today, which is the Copyright Act of 1976, that governs works created after January 1, 1978, whether under the 1909 Copyright Act, which was in existence until that time, a musical composition encompasses the entire recorded composition or only written notation, a lead sheet that was prepared in order to get a copyright registration on file with the United States Copyright Office. As I explained in prior episodes of Blurred Laws in Life, the Blurred Lines judge restricted our claim to the written notation on a lead sheet that someone prepared after Marvin created got to give it up in the studio, only to get the copyright on file, which did not have all the elements of the recorded composition. And in my view, that is a wrong decision because it disenfranchises composers of what they create and unnecessarily limits the composition to just elements that are reflected on a written lead sheet prepared by some unknown person after the fact to get the copyright on file. That decision was then followed by a subsequent court in the Led Zeppelin case and the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals then affirmed that decision in a case that has now been appealed to the United States Supreme Court. And within the Ninth Circuit decision of the Led Zeppelin case, there was another issue that was raised. The defense in that case went a step further and tried to claim that a musical composition should have what is called a thin copyright protection, meaning that a subsequent work would only infringe a musical composition if it is virtually identical to the prior work instead of the substantial similarity test that has been employed for the last hundred years in copyright infringement cases. The Ninth Circuit rejected that attempt and said that the thin copyright standard only applies to creative works where the creative choices are limited. And I've used this example in the past. There's only so many ways to paint a tomato. So if you have a Picture of a tomato, a painter paints a tomato, and then someone else paints a tomato, it's going to be very difficult to establish that the second work infringes the first. The first will only have what we call thin copyright protection, and there's also a question of, and I'll get to this in a moment, originality. So these concepts, these rulings, these issues, now are arising in many copyright infringement cases that are being filed and all came to bear just recently in a case involving Taylor Swift because the defense, to their credit, tries to expand those rulings and apply them to cases that they have never been applied in. And the plaintiffs, which is usually the side that I am on, has to beat that back. And those forces came to bear, as I mentioned recently, in a case involving Taylor Swift. So to set this up, as I mentioned, in a copyright infringement case, a work will infringe another work where the two or the portions of the work copied are substantially similar. And there is no magic formula to determine whether two works are substantially similar. In a musical copyright infringement case, the plaintiff must pass what is called the extrinsic test and the intrinsic test. The extrinsic test allows the court to determine whether there are sufficient similarities compositionally in a musical composition to possibly get to the jury, while the intrinsic test allows the jury then to determine essentially whether the two songs sound enough alike or the portions copied sound enough alike to rise to copyright infringement. But before you get to substantial similarity, there is an initial bar, and that is to show that the portion copied was original. And the Supreme Court has stated that in the copyright infringement context, originality is not a high bar, that there just must be some creative expression, there must be a spark of originality. Those are the words of Justice Sandra Day O'Connor in the case of Feist Publications versus Rural Telephone Service, where the plaintiff attempted to claim copyright protection over its compilation of names and phone numbers in the phone book. And the Supreme Court in that case rejected the sweat of the brow doctrine for copyright protection, meaning that they had gone to great lengths to acquire that information, so it should be protected by copyright. And the Supreme Court rejected that and said that, there must be some originality, there must be some creative expression, there must be some minimal degree of creativity, some spark of creativity, and the mere compilation of getting names and phone numbers does not meet that bar. So in the Taylor Swift case, which is entitled Sean Hall et al. versus Taylor Swift et al., and is in federal district court court in the Central District of California. The plaintiffs in this case are the songwriters who wrote the uh, composition entitled Play Is Gonna Play, which was released by 3LW, an all-girl group uh, from the early 2000s. The chorus of Play Is Gonna Play consists of the following lyrics. Players they gonna play, and haters they're going to hate. Ballers, they going to ball. Shot callers, they're going to call. That ain't got nothing to do with me and you. That's the way it is. That's the way it is. Now, in Taylor Swift's song, Shake It Off, the chorus of that song contains the following lyrics. Cause the player's going to play, 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 play. And the hater's going to hate, hate, hate hate, hate. Baby, I'm just going to shake, 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 shake it off, shake it off. Heartbreaker's going to break, 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 break. And the faker's going to fake, 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 fake. Baby, I'm just going to shake, 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 shake it off, shake it off. So the plaintiffs filed the lawsuit claiming that their lyrics, at least in part, were copied in the Taylor Swift song. The district court originally dismissed the case, saying that the lyrics that are alleged to have been copied were not original. The Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals reversed. And now back in the district court, as I mentioned earlier, the defendants reiterated their motion and raised other arguments to try to get around the Ninth Circuit ruling and the district court had the parties write letter briefs and then issued a decision. The first argument that the defendants raised was that the plaintiff's claim was precluded because the unprotected ideas underlying the alleged copied words merged with those words, rendering them unprotectable too. So originally, the... District Court ruled that players gonna play and haters gonna hate is not original. And despite the fact that it was used with a certain melody and in a certain way that the plaintiff alleged was original. Now, to digress for a second, you all may remember in a prior episode of Blurred Laws in Life, I was involved in a similar case where we alleged that the word dog, as used by the defendant, infringed the use of that word in the iconic song, Atomic Dog, that my client owned. And while the defendants ridiculed that as saying, we don't own the word dog, we argued that it was used as musical punctuation in both songs at the end of each verse, and therefore was original, and in what was a landmark ruling, the district court and then the court of appeals agreed that even a common word if used in a unique way could be original and if copied could constitute copyright infringement. So now in this case the defendant raised this merger doctrine that I just discussed and what that means is that there's practically only one way to express an idea. The doctrine of merger Provides that courts will not protect a copyrighted work from infringement if the idea underlying the work can be expressed only in one way, lest there be a monopoly on the underlying idea. Here, the plaintiffs alleged their lyrics were more complex than just the unoriginal words that were used. And the district court agreed that. It is not abundantly clear, as the court said from the complaint, that there are sufficiently few means of expressing that idea. The second argument that the defendants raised was that the plaintiff's claim failed because their allegation that they, quote, originated the linguistic combination of players, players playing along with haters, haters, hating is not a plausible, quote, selection and arrangement claim because the allegation, according to the defendant, falls far short of the required selection and arrangement of numerous unprotectable elements. The defendants also argued that the plaintiff's claim of protection in combining just players' play and haters' hate in the absence of elements that are particularly selected and arranged amounts to nothing more than trying to copyright commonplace element. Once again, I'll take you back to that same case I mentioned a moment ago where we won and obtained copyright protection over the use of the word dog in a unique way. There was another claim of copyright infringement in that case. In that case, the defendants copied the iconic phrase from Atomic Dog also, bow wow wow yippee oh yippee and the defendants made a very similar argument in that case also. They alleged that dogs have been saying bow, wow, wow, since God created dogs, and that cowboys have been saying yippee o yippee-ay, since there were cowboys. And therefore, that combination is not original and not protectable. And of course, we argue that that's nonsense, that no one has put that together before, the bow, wow, wow, yippee-oh, yippee-ay. and therefore that it is original because it's a unique use of two words or two phrases that might otherwise, if independently used, not be original. And we won on that as well. And here, in the Taylor Swift case, the court also disagreed with the defendant's argument. The court first noted that the Ninth Circuit, at least implicitly, determined that plaintiff's creation is sufficiently creative to warrant protection at this stage in the case by reversing the district court's original order. And the court went on to say that with respect to this argument, the court was persuaded by plaintiff's argument that the Ninth Circuit has long distinguished between literary works and physical objects with respect to determining the number of unprotectable elements required to result in a protectable composition. So With respect to literary works, the Ninth Circuit and specifically musical compositions has said that the unique combination of otherwise unprotectable elements can combine to create a protectable element and has not identified the number of unprotectable elements that are required, whether it just be two, for example, if used in a unique way that could constitute a original work for purposes of copyright infringement. Finally, the defendants again, as I mentioned at the very beginning of this discussion, try to grasp on to the idea that substantial similarity is no longer the rule and virtual identity is with respect to copyright infringement in the Ninth Circuit, but that's just not true. Substantial similarity is the rule in the Ninth Circuit. Virtual identity only applies for intellectual property works for which there is, quote, a narrow range of available creative choices. As I mentioned before, an example is painting a tomato. There are literally thousands, if not millions, of creative choices one makes in creating a musical work, and so while the defendants tried to make the argument that virtual identity is required, the district court rightfully rejected that argument. So in all, while it was a nice try by the defendants, the plaintiff's case will move forward, the case against Taylor Swift um, will move forward on this copyright infringement claim, and it is obviously a very interesting case with a lot of nuanced issues that arise in copyright infringement cases, and now, because you all listen to Blurred Laws in Life, you are fully educated on those issues and quite frankly, most of the issues that arise in these cases. We will be watching this case and every other case that comes up, as well as my cases that I'm currently litigating, and we'll update you as decisions come in and as developments occur. But that's not all for episode number 24 of Blurred Laws and Life. It's time for the bonus round. First, um, in interesting news, I will be appearing on the Adam Corolla podcast this week. I was invited to be a guest on Adam's podcast, and um, I'm looking forward to that. And I will let you all know when it airs. Um, I'll be recording it actually this afternoon, and um, when it does air, I will let you all know. Also today is a big day for me because today, believe it or not, is, and I never thought this day would happen this year, is my fantasy football draft. I have been in the same fantasy football league with a bunch of idiots for the last 20 years. Of course, I've won it several times. Two of the guys that are in the league, Robert Valdez and Jeff Farmer, I know are listeners of Blurred Laws in Life. And I just want them to know, if they listen to this episode, that as an attorney with a law firm, i I have access to private investigators and I have actually done background reports, I have photographs, I have investigative reports now on the two of you as well Robert as your son Daniel who's also in our league and um, I've not mentioned this to you yet but I'll be making a phone call to you this afternoon and then throughout the season literally blackmailing you um, with respect to your lineups, with respect to trades of players that I want, um, because I will stop at nothing, absolutely nothing, to win this league this year. 2020 is going to be the year that I win my third, and it should be a lot more. I've been in the finals many times, I'll have you all know, but my third fantasy football championship. Also, last week, I spoke about my mom, who has Alzheimer's, as you all heard. And I received so many different messages from listeners of Blurred Laws in Life telling me how much they enjoyed hearing about my mother, hearing about the stories, um, and asking me if I had any others to share and requesting that I do share Uh, Maybe another story or two. Well, I do have many more stories that I could share about my mom Um, But I just I picked one which is a story that she and I have talked about basically our entire lives and have laughed about and I wanted to share it with you because it also Illustrates what a terrific mother she is and was and what a wonderful person she is and was when I was about five or six years old I received a present and it was a teddy bear but it was a teddy bear that was like a puppet that went in the palm of your hand and um, we love that little teddy bear we called them teddy well one day my mother and I went took the bus and went to the 163rd street mall and took other buses and went to what was called the sky lake mall in Miami we spent the day at the at those two malls and it took at least three or four buses to get to those malls, so it was quite a day. I brought that um, teddy bear with me, and when I returned home at 4 or 5 in the afternoon, I realized that I had left him somewhere. And she and I were both devastated because she knew how much I cared about that little teddy bear. (laughs) And rather than just let it go, we literally at four in the afternoon after being gone all day and without knowing where we left it because we had eaten, we had gone to two different malls, we had been all over the place. I think we even saw a movie that day. We went back on the bus and went to both malls and finally after about three or four hours of searching like and asking at every department store if anybody turned in this stupid little teddy bear We finally found him at the Lost and Found at the JCPenney at the 163rd Street Mall. We had gone to the Skylake Mall first. We looked everywhere there. We went to every store. Then we went over to the 163rd Street Mall, looked everywhere, and we finally found it and returned home about 10 o'clock that night, taking multiple buses, and um, we were both exhausted but happy, and we talked about that day pretty much for the rest of our lives. And finally, a shout out to my good friend, Jillian Michaels, client, friend. She reported that she let her guard down for a moment and I believe got her hair done or her makeup and the hairdresser had Corona, COVID, and apparently infected a lot of people. And... Jillian got the COVID by um, that hairdresser or makeup artist, but I'm happy to report that she is absolutely fine, no problems, fully recovered, and just sending out my best wishes and love to the wonderful Jillian Michaels. So a reminder to everyone to please be careful, please stay safe, please wear those masks, And have a wonderful week. And I will see you again next week. Or at least talk to you, I should say, again next week on Blurred Laws and Life.